This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been practicing here in Fayetteville, Arkansas since 1993, so that is 25 years. I began this podcast last year because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I'd already started blogging several years before, and I was so enjoying reaching people that I might never reach in order to give them a little slice of what therapy might be like or what psychologists tended to think or say about certain things, but I wanted to reach out to you whether you're well-versed in therapy or you really aren't. So thanks so much for being here. Today, we're going to be talking about depression and social media. Now, in episode 26, we discussed teens and social media and how depression in teens is increasing, and in fact, at an alarming rate. But most of you listening, I don't think are teenagers, And actually, I hear the same thing coming out of the mouths of many my adult patients. And I have to watch myself sometimes with social media. So I want to offer five realizations about social media that just might influence you to change your scrolling behavior or at least change your mindset when you are scrolling or when you're Snapchatting or when you're putting something on Instagram, because a lot of it is our attitude and our perspective on it that's gotten kind of skewed. Our listener email from today is from someone whose best friend and roommate has begun a new relationship, and she's beginning to understand her own dependence on this male roommate to be okay with being single. In fact, in some ways, it's similar to what our topic is when we're comparing ourselves to others negatively. So I'm looking forward to talking about social media, depression, and how we can change our attitudes or tweak them a bit so that it remains something we enjoy instead of something that threatens or depresses us. You know, when I became a therapist, I thought I would start drinking herbal tea and wearing flowing clothes, <laughs> but that hasn't happened. So every morning I stop by Sonic and get my large unsweetened iced tea with extra, extra ice. So usually I notice the picture of their cheeseburger that's on the menu. I guess it's supposed to entice me to order the fresh burger. It looks like it's bursting with flavor. It does look absolutely delicious in the picture. Real crisp bacon and juicy tomato. Of course, they make it look like it's juicy. It's not really juicy. But, you know, I smiled, knowing that what I'd likely receive if I ordered one wasn't going to be exactly what the picture suggested and left with my tea. You know, that's advertising for you. But it just struck me that that same day, one of my patients in couples work was talking to her husband about finances and getting their debt under control. Well, also, they were sharing dreams and goals, and she said to him, you know, I want a nicer yard. I want the yard on Pinterest. And then she looked at me and sort of shyly smiled. I love Pinterest. I thought about the cheeseburger and wondered what that Pinterest yard she was talking about looked like a few days later after the picture was snapped. Probably nothing like the picture on Pinterest. 
I want to stress there's nothing psychologically unhealthy about scrolling through Pinterest or Instagram, seeing what people are up to, getting creative ideas for your own design. But if you're going through a time where you happen to be insecure or unhappy with yourself, what appears to be in everyone else's yard can seem vastly better than your own, and not just your yard, but your entire life. You can easily absorb a daily dose of shame. Your life should be more organized, cleaner, prettier, more exciting. You should have more followers. You know, there's a picture to prove it. You see multitudes of vacation pictures taken by friends of friends from exotic places around the world, and suddenly your trip to visit your cousin in Des Moines can sort of fizzle. You read the posts of proud parents with kids going to elite colleges while your child is struggling to get through high school and there are no pictures there. You see how much weight someone named Joanne has lost simply by slugging down protein shakes. She's even become a spokesperson for the drinks themselves. And you know, you can't seem to lose five pounds without gaining back seven. They paint their lives the way they want to be seen, but not necessarily the way they really are. Frankly, people can lie on social media. They lie sometimes by commission. They purposefully lead others to believe what isn't true. But they also bend the truth and omit what's really going on. They simply leave out the less glowing details. A college professor recently told me that he'd overheard a conversation between two of his graduate students. Now, they both just received their graded papers from him and were comparing scores. One said, oh, I got an 82. The other girl nodded. I'm so excited. I got a 91. And the professor sort of startled a bit and looked back at his grading because the second girl had actually received a 78, not a 91. You really don't know what is someone's truth. Back to our examples, you know, you don't hear how that same couple fought their way through Bora Bora. You don't realize that the kid who got into Harvard really wanted to go to a state university but was pressured by her parents and is now having terrible panic attacks. You don't know that good old Joanna has lost weight countless times, regained it, and that her husband has actually threatened to leave her if she doesn't keep it off this time. You don't know the backstory. Now, if you've listened to self-work at all, you know I talk about something called perfectly hidden depression and perfectionism is a vital part of that particular syndrome. And perfectionism can certainly make this dance of social media and depression far worse. Back in episode 85, we talked about confronting perfectionism, in fact. So if you're one of those people who clean up before the housekeeper comes, you already know the kind of immense pressure you put on yourself. You don't want anyone to see your mess, your vulnerability, whatever. There are many gifts to being a therapist, but hearing everyone's backstory of realizing that appearances are often just that, appearances, is definitely one of those gifts. But you know, you don't have to be perfectionistic for your anxiety to reach epic proportions when you scroll through social media. So how can you handle it better? How can you help your kids handle it better? So rather than allowing social media to set you up to walk around not feeling good enough, there are five realizations, five things you can do or not do to help you have the right attitude when and if you choose to look at it or to participate in it. Now, I want to make sure you realize something. 
I'm not against social media. In fact, I got on Facebook years ago, not only because my son was on it, but because I was having patients get on it and they were being hurt. One teenager specifically, I remember because she was being bullied on Facebook. So I needed to know what was going on. And certainly since I started blogging, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, on Pinterest. I have not fallen in love with Snapchat yet. My memory is so bad that if I don't have a picture of what I just said, (laughs) I'm not sure I'd remember. But there are many people who adore Snapchat out there too. And I'm sure there are others that I'm just not savvy enough to know about. So this is not a blast on social media, okay? I'm simply saying there's an attitude you can have while you're participating in it, if you so choose, that can be helpful. So first and foremost, don't romanticize what you see. In fact, very proactively normalize it. Let's say you see a picture on Instagram and it's two people, their backs are to the camera, watching a gorgeous sunset over some lake. Now put yourself there, but then work to not romanticize it. Sure, it's a fabulous sunset and yes, they're holding hands. That's wonderful. But you know, somebody's stomach is growling because the other one wanted the picture and they didn't and they were getting hangry as we call it. One of them has a cold. Now, these are normal, everyday things that are happening that will humanize the picture so you don't make some kind of Hollywood movie out of what you see. Hopefully, you then won't put yourself down for not having the same because real life is far from Hollywood. Think about your own pictures. You probably spend some time picking out the best one before posting. Well, other people do that as well. Some people do it obsessively. In fact, I watched the other day as a young mother in my neighborhood lined up her kids in the front yard. It was around July the 4th, and they all had American flags in their hands and were dressed in red, white, and blue. I drove by several times. I wasn't just sitting there staring at them. But literally, she must have taken photos for about 20 minutes. You could see that the kids were growing more impatient with every take. I thought to myself, any minute they were probably going to rip each other's outfits off, or, or maybe she'd bribe them. But they did make it through, and as I was driving past for the last time, they were all running to the car, probably screaming about who was going to sit in the front seat. So again, don't romanticize. Try to think, how do I make these people normal people? Now again, the second one is a point I've already made, but realize that people lie, and there are no lie detectors on social media. I have a patient whose mother was very abusive to her, for example, quite neglectful as well in many ways. So there's kind of a double whammy for her. And her mother posts regularly about her great religious conviction and her spiritual journey. And my patient just gets mad, gets sad, gets angry, whatever, because she knows that her mother is nothing like what she puts on social media. It's what she wants the world to believe about her. I've used this example before in some podcast or another, but I remember also a patient telling me that she got so nervous and anxious about her life not being special enough to be on Instagram that she would spend an hour or two putting something that looked well put together and kind of cute and taking a picture of it for Instagram. It didn't really exist in her house. She created it. So again, realize that they're anxious insecure people out there doing that all the time. The third one is an attitude change. You know, you can choose to be motivated 
by something you see that you admire or read that you admire, rather than allowing envy to overwhelm you. When I started blogging, I have to admit to you that I became very enamored with how many people liked my posts or how many Facebook followers I had. And it was very hard for me not to be seduced into looking at those numbers all the time. And then, of course, I would look at other people's numbers. And sometimes mine would be larger than theirs, but often they were not. And I would have to give myself a pep talk of some kind. It was really ridiculous. You can get stuck in jealousy or even envy that someone's life, whether it's their real life or their life on social media, seems to be what you want for yourself, seems being the important word there. Maybe you even follow someone whose life is one you wish you could create. I know there are a lot of people who have huge followings on Twitter and on Instagram and on Pinterest who take pictures of themselves constantly, and they're selling you brands of this and brands of that, and it's easy to say, oh, I want to be just like her or him. So I want you to take a moment to write down what that thing is that you see in their life or that you believe you see that you want in yours. Write down what would have to happen for that to begin to be created in your own life. Allow that to motivate you and wake you up to possibilities that are out there, not get you stuck in bitterness or self-contempt, and realize that we're all on a spectrum. Someone may very well be out there looking at your life and admiring you or your last post on Instagram. You just never know how you're being perceived. And again, you can allow things that you see in other people to serve as motivation. I don't think I've told this story on this podcast, but after all, this is my 87th episode. I'm beginning to forget from time to time, but I took a college class in drama. It was actually MFA students. Many years ago now, I had just been in a musical, and the director of that musical taught the class, and she invited me to join them. So I was about 45, and all the other students were probably in their mid-20s, maybe late-20s. And I went and I sat. And I had been in about, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen plays in my entire life at that point. And these people had been in dozens and dozens and dozens. I sat there and heard them sing and watched them act. And I tried my best when it came my shot. But, oh, my gosh, I was so intimidated. So I called the professor, who was by that time my friend, on a Monday morning. And I said, Amy... I really so appreciate you inviting me to take this class. I know I need to learn what you have to teach, but I just can't. I, these kids intimidate me, and I feel like I'm actually their worst nightmare, that I'm that person that gave up music and gave up drama to go do something else. She just started guffawing, and she said, Margaret, do you know what I do on Sunday nights? And I said, no. She said, the graduate students come over to have dinner. I said, great. And she said, you know what we talked about last night? And I said, no. She said, how they all find you intimidating. Well, you could have bowled me over. I mean, I was just, she just started laughing. She said, give it a chance. You've got something to offer them, and they've got something to offer you, and let it be just that. Well, that's what I did, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. But I had to get through that intimidation factor. Again, you never know where you are on the spectrum, and what people are perceiving about you. Number four, take some self-reflection. You're going to have to recognize obsession when you see it. Social media can help you be extremely obsessed with an ex, past friendship, something. 
Realizing that friends move on and relationships end, marriage doesn't always work out. Social media can keep you mired in the past or angry about the present. Seeing mutual friends liking pictures of your old girlfriend with a man she had an affair with, that stings. Instagram photos of places he was going to take you and now is taking someone else, that stinks. Or maybe you could have been blocked. You can get access anyway through friends, but it can become obsessive, like you're a detective following leads about your ex-friend or your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. It's just not good. Social media makes it so much easier to stay stuck. And it's really seeking out things that are going to cause you pain. It can be very addictive and paralyzing. It can keep you addicted to that relationship. It's much healthier to focus on your own healing. It's going to be a rough enough ride without making it rougher. So you have to take steps if you recognize you're getting obsessed by unfriending or blocking or whatever so your own emotional healing can occur. Then lastly, and again, this has more to do with what happens in relationships sometimes when we're on social media. Social media can make it very hard to contain your own impulses, whether it's through texting, private messaging, or more public posts. It's difficult to not use any and all forms of communication to make your point just one more time to someone who you're in conflict with or who you used to be in relationship with, or you're still in relationship with, but you're arguing. Social media just makes it so easy. You feel like you're going to get support for your side. So you get your feelings out, but you also may actually be creating more chaos that will have to be cleaned up. So please, go out there and use social media well. But if it's making you depressed, if it's making it hard to contain your impulses, if you're getting obsessed about other people's lives, maybe ex-relationships, if you're allowing envy to overwhelm you, and if you're romanticizing what you see and don't realize that sometimes people aren't telling the truth or they're greatly enhancing the truth that really exists, please get off for a while. Take a social media break. It really can be helpful. And of course, if it's making you depressed, please seek clinical help. Our listener email today is from someone who's living with their best friend, who happens to be of the opposite gender, and didn't realize quite how much she was dependent on him to feel okay about herself being without a partner. Dear Dr. Margaret, first I want to say thank you for your podcasts. I've been struggling recently with low mood and depression, and my best friend sent me a link, which is how I discovered self-work. I find taking 20 minutes out of my day to listen to them really useful and helps calm my anxiety a little, so thank you. You are more than welcome. I would love some advice on how to deal with a situation I found myself in. I'm a 29-year-old living, and she tells me where she's living, and until recently I thought I was okay with being alone. Then a few weeks ago, my housemate, who I consider a close friend, started seeing someone. This triggered a really horrible period of sadness and anxiety in me. My last single friend was now off the market, and it suddenly made me really aware that I'm a million miles away from having my own relationship. I'm scared of intimacy and lack the confidence to pursue anyone. I've started to feel worthless and sad about my life, and I don't know how to stop it. 
Now, every time he talks about his new relationship where he brings his girlfriend over, I've started to have panic attacks and I can't sleep or eat. It's really started messing with my life. I don't want to act any different around him as I want him to be happy in his new relationship and not worry about me. But I can tell he knows something is up. And as I live with him, it's really hard to avoid being in this situation every day, which triggers my anxiety about my own life. The more I've listened to you talk about perfectly hidden depression, the more it sounds like you're describing me. I can't bear the thought of anyone knowing how low I constantly feel, as I don't want anyone to worry. But at the same time, I don't think I can live like this for much longer. I'll go crazy. Any advice would be so hugely appreciated. There are many of you who may have found yourself in this boat that you were hanging out with someone when you were single and they were single and it was a lot of camaraderie. You maybe probably even made relationship jokes or marriage jokes and now all of a sudden that changes or vice versa you could have been in a marriage and then you get divorced and all of a sudden all your friends are married or partnered so it's hard to feel that kind of aloneness so here's my answer i'm so glad you reached out i think it would be normal to have a close friend move into a new relationship and you feel like it's an unwelcome and unexpected change even though you're happy for them But this seems to have triggered much more than that. True abandonment fears and intense shame or self-loathing about your own life, panic attacks, and not caring for yourself. My guess would be something from your past is getting triggered that you haven't dealt with. How is this situation connected to times you may have experienced loss or sudden change? Making those connections may help you at least recognize why your reaction is so intense. Depending on what you find from your past, then you can either seek treatment or look for books that could be helpful to you. But shaming yourself isn't helpful at all. Try to accept what's going on so you can work with it. Find some understanding and move forward. Breathing exercises and meditation are excellent for anxiety as well, as is exercise. Since you listen to self-work, you know I stress looking for what you have control over. I would recommend that you think about telling your friend that you have two very contradictory feelings, unless you somehow believe he wouldn't be compassionate about that, but if he's a close friend, it sounds like he would be. I hope he'd help you figure out some of this. Maybe y'all could try to spend some time just by yourselves. Maybe you need some reassurance about how he considers your friendship. You also may be putting the idea in your own head that you're somehow no longer welcome, that you're a third thumb. Now they're in a new relationship, and I realize that that can usually be pretty heady. But don't forget that you've been a close friend of his for a while, and this relationship may last or it may not last. I often hear in people who've got divorced who say they don't think their married friends want to hang out with them anymore that... I just don't think that's true. I've been married for 27 years, and I love having a friend, either his or mine, hang out with us. It gives us something to think about and talk about other than ourselves. So please don't assume that you're unwelcome simply because you're not partnered. I hope that's helpful, and also I hope that's helpful to you, the listener. I want to thank you so much again for listening to this episode of Self Work. I've gotten new ratings and reviews this past couple of weeks, and I cannot thank you enough. I do not obsessively check them, (laughs) as that would be against my own advice, right? But I do check them every two, three days, perhaps. 
it's always very gratifying to see that someone else has left a review and I learned something from them. I'm learning that therapists are listening to this and using some of my ideas in their own therapy. I'm learning that patients are taking these podcasts to their own therapy. I'm learning that some of you have tuned in because you are dealing with depression or anxiety. And I love getting the emails you send me. Please, more of you email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It is confidential. I will answer you. And I do love hearing who you are and what is causing you to listen to self-work. Please subscribe either here or wherever you listen, or you can jump on over to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribe over there and you'll get a free copy of not only this podcast, but my weekly blog post as well. I've started a Facebook group for those of you who might enjoy that as well. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And it's a closed group. So our comments will remain private only to the group, and I'd love to see you over there. Several podcast listeners have joined, and it's delightful. We're from all over the world, from all different cultures and backgrounds, and it's fun to hear the different ideas that we can share. So thanks so much for being here. Take good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.